Welcome to the EMS on the Mountain podcast, a show for those interested in austere and wilderness medicine. This podcast provides insight into the unique aspects and challenges of bringing modern EMS into wilderness and austere environments. All right. So welcome. My name's Sean and my joined today by my partner, Mike. What up? And yeah, he's a what up. He's a man of many words. And we're going to kind of bring you an introduction to our podcast yet to be named. Uh, so what are we doing in this podcast? Uh, basically, Mike and I are going to talk a lot about wilderness EMS or emergency medical services why we do what we do, what some of the differences are between wilderness and austere medicine and the what we call traditional urban environment, and kind of introduce our listeners to uh, expanding their knowledge in some of these areas. So big differences with the wilderness environment, just as an introduction to those who aren't as familiar, it essentially comes down to time with a patient. So for a traditional urban EMS place, 15 to 20 minutes could be considered a long time with your patient. Uh, for Mike and I, when we're actually operating in a wilderness environment, a short bit of patient contact time is often four hours at, at, at a short call. These can go anywhere for us from 12 to 18 hours. It all depends on time of day, location, and the nature of the patient's injuries. Some of the other big obvious ones for us, distance from equipment, right? So if we didn't carry it in, it doesn't exist. There's no running back out from the house into the ambulance to grab something else. If we literally didn't carry it in on our backs, it just isn't there with us. And so it makes you have to think a lot more about what you have, where you're going, and what you're going to go to. And then with that, the limited supplies and equipment. So again, you've got to carry it all on. So we're not taking life pack 15s into our backpacks and taking those five miles, 10 miles down trail to a patient who's in need. Same thing goes with other, we'll call them large items, like large splinting materials, full-size backboards, etc. Right. So it's got to be compact, it's got to be light, and there's only so much you can carry with you. Yeah, we also, as, as Sean mentioned, uh, we, uh, we tend to operate in an environment that requires doing things that are, take longer and are just simply harder given the environment. Uh, as was mentioned, we don't bring splinting materials in that are your traditional splint boards. We're not carrying life pack 15s into the woods. Um, but we also face a new factor that gets talked a lot in, about in EMS, but it isn't necessarily thought a lot about after you get out of school. We have to factor in the environment. Uh, we have to take into account time of day, the effect on the rescuers and the effect on the patient. Uh, we actually spend a lot more time than your average EMS provider worrying about the temperature of the patient, whether they're comfortable, and how that's impacting their pasophysiological. <laughs> yep, I'll get that one right. I'm a paramedic. <laughs> impacting their pasophysiological state, which still isn't the right term. I used to teach this stuff. <laughs> uh, but in all seriousness, the environment has a big, it's a big factor, and it, it, changes a lot of the decisions we make because we may be with a patient for five, six, seven hours. We may have to keep them warm through the night. We may have to manage their environment for them uh, 
because they are either too sick or or injured and out of energy and unable to do so themselves. Yeah. So again, environment, time from supplies, and time from help is a big one. So who's this show for, right? So we've obviously going to cater a lot of this to folks who work in the wilderness environment, wilderness providers who are already out there or who are at least peripherally on the edge of doing these things. Uh, but obviously those who will call are interested more from, and don't take this the wrong way, the amateur perspective, guys who aren't part of professional rescue organizations, uh, the weekend backpackers and hobbyists, folks that are taking the wilderness first aid and wilderness first responder courses. Uh, anybody that has an interest in wilderness medicine is probably going to find an interest in the show. At least we hope so. Uh, however, some disclaimers, what we are not. We're not going to be a how-to show. We're not going to teach you how to do something, right? We're not going to teach you how to put in chest tubes or how to, you know, do a needle chest decompression. You know, we're going to talk about a lot of these things. We might talk about when they might be applicable and when you'd want to do them, but we're sure as hell not going to try and teach you how to do these things. So this is a an informative show based on our experiences uh, discussing these topics and where we're going to go with them, but we're definitely not going to try and teach you how to do some stuff. If nothing else, we'll provide you some insights, perhaps some learning tips from our own experiences, things we've learned ourselves over the last few years of doing this. And if that helps you out, then awesome. If not, at least we're entertaining. <laughs> we can hope we're entertaining. So since this is the first episode, you guys should probably know who we are and why we're doing this. We've covered the why. So now here comes the who. Uh, my name's Mike. I started in EMS around 2002. I got to start in wilderness medicine almost out of the gate when I started doing search and rescue work uh, for a state agency here in the Mid-Atlantic. I became an EMT shortly after joining and served as a volunteer for quite a while, as well as starting in the Park Service. Uh, on top of that, I've spent 12 to 13 years uh, honing skills in high-angle rescue, and I'm also considered a... Uh, an instructor level leader for public service agencies and for special ed teams around the world. I teach with uh, an agency where we do three or four classes a year teaching high rescue to law enforcement and EMS professionals for austere environments. Yeah. Uh, my path was a little bit different than Mike's and uh, goes back a couple more years. First got certified in EMS as an EMT in 1996. Uh, I was in the military at the time. Uh, for those that are interested in care, I did do 20 years and some change. Uh, so most of my initial practice was all technically what we call in the austere environment. Obviously a very heavy focus on trauma, not so much as in the medicine part back in the day, uh, but it is what it is. Uh, while in the military and as a EMS or medical responder, it was not my primary job, so don't take that the wrong way. I was not a what you would call a traditional military medic or corpsman, uh, but those are the guys that influenced my initial years of practice, right? So all my my baseline knowledge and experience comes from the special operations medical community, um, and those are the guys that heavily influenced me. So there are things that I will say and talk about that some, let's call them traditional urban EMS providers, will make them cringe. It's just how I was taught initially, and I kind of carry some of the things forward with me. Uh, after I got out of the military, I needed something to do with my time and skills. So I joined the same search and rescue team that Mike happened to be on at the time. That's where we first met. Uh, 
And from there, uh, we ended up providing support to the National Park Service together, uh, you know, from search and rescue, technical rescue, and EMS, right? So we support the National Park Service on both the urban, we'll call it urban EMS, and our specialty on the wilderness side of it together. Yeah, so as Sean mentioned, we came together uh, about 10 years ago. Uh, We met through a volunteer search and rescue organization. Uh, In 2015, we formalized our relationship with the Park Service. Uh, We actually started an organization, brokered an organization called the Orion Mountain Rescue uh, Organization. It's still a growing organization today. But through that, we've departed from the state search and rescue team, and we've spent the last five or so years focused on wilderness medicine in the parks in particular. Uh, Sean rides a local truck in his community, as do I. Uh, primarily, it's a it's probably the only way to maintain a skill set at the volume of calls that one would need to do so. But our, our passion has always been care in the wilderness, and we've been working together as a team for about five years providing that care. And we've also been instructors and done other work along with bringing other folks up to speed on austere medicine in this journey. Yeah. So, and that's the big thing is Mike and I have been doing this together for a long time and we've been supporting the national park service. Mike certainly longer than I have, but together since 2010 and we realized that we really liked doing direct support to the park, doing the wilderness medicine piece for them. It was an area we found that they needed some help in. And so, yeah, we broke away from that group uh, after we realized we just couldn't do it as much as we wanted to. We wanted to be there a lot more often. And that's one of the things that uh, we like to think helps make us an expert in the field. We're not just two dudes who have an interest in wilderness medicine. We are two guys who actually provide wilderness EMS. Uh, There's not a whole lot of us that are out there within, the, especially in the United States, uh, foreign countries in Great Britain, Europe, it's definitely a more accepted career professional path. But here in the U.S., it's almost exclusively volunteer, with the exception of a few paid National Park Service personnel. And those guys live in the very large national parks out west. And that's where you'll find a lot more of the expertise here within the U.S. There are some other dedicated teams similar to Orion Mountain Rescue who provide some dedicated wilderness EMS services to their local communities as well. Uh, And so while we're not a very big name in this game, there's only a few of us in our group. uh, We do like to consider ourselves pretty experienced professionals. We've been doing this together and separately for a very long time now. Uh, When it comes to ALS treatment in this world, we, we consider ourselves not, I wouldn't say at the very top of that food chain, but we're, we're approaching it, right? Mike and I seek out a lot of additional training, bringing our skills up to speed, especially when it comes to work in the wilderness and austere environments. Uh, and we do have, we have a much greater appreciation, a bigger focus on patients and patient needs than a lot of other folks operating in the traditional urban scene uh, have on a lot of occasions. Again, it's, it's a time with patient thing, right? When I'm on my ambulance in a pretty, we'll call it normal urban community, I roll up on scene, introduce myself, do my assessments, provide necessary treatments, put them in my ambulance, and I take them to my nearest appropriate hospital. I might have a patient for 30 minutes. You know, if it's a not critical patient and I've got some time to do a little investigative work based on a health issue, not necessarily a 
a trauma issue that needs to get moving quickly, might take some time on scene, do that additional work. Well, with us here in the wilderness environment, everything is time on scene. There is no, you know, 15 minutes that we got to get moving for severe traumas, right? It's 15 minutes and I've just now hit the trailhead. Uh, and now I've got to hike hours to my patient. And then I might spend hours more with my patient treating, evaluating, assessing, continue to treat and wait for evacuation or continue the evacuation. Uh, so again, this is a lot of it's based on where we work and for us in the back country, there is, there's nowhere that goes anywhere fast unless you're off of one of the larger fire roads. There's no truck that's coming to you inside of a eight minute, 15 minute, 30 minute call window. Okay. It's a lot of times people forget that when you're in these national parks in the back country, it's a game of telephone where the person initially injured might not have made the call for help. It was somebody else who found them. They took it upon themselves, ran someplace to get cell service, made a phone call, tried to relay patient information and location to the best of their ability to the emergency dispatch center where they eventually notify us and we get moving. So before we even get going on scene, this person might've already been injured for an hour. Right. It all depends on where we're at. So yeah, uh, where we work is, is, has a huge impact on the type of care and the focus on patient care and treatments that we, we try to profess. Yeah. And we've, we've <laughs> over the years, we've seen it all. Um, just last year, we executed an evacuation that took 13 hours uh, I called the hospital for orders multiple times. I was told by the hospital, uh, sorry, just bring them here. I tried to explain to them that uh, it would be another 12 hours before I saw them. Um, we've had to evacuate people that have fallen down waterfalls and been hoisted out of the woods. We've also treated, uh, I'll use the term rhabdo-like symptoms since we were not able to diagnose him. We had no ABGs on the mountain, but... Bullshit. Yeah, well... Uh, <laughs> But we've, where's my field epoch? <laughs> we've camped with people all night that were too quote unquote cramped up and unable to walk. Um, and so where we work has an implication as to how we think and how we think has an implication on the care we provide. So we're hoping that through these episodes, the things we talk about, the information we convey, we can start a conversation in a bigger community about wilderness medicine, how it's different. And the implications to the patient and to the care they're getting provided, because there is a lot more that goes into providing care for somebody for 12 hours as opposed to 20 minutes. Uh, there's just a lot more considerations you have to take into play. And given our particular experience, it's not just the 12-hour contact time, but we're usually a couple of miles away at a minimum from a motorized vehicle. And it's going to take a lot of people and a lot of resources to carry an injured person out of the woods. Yeah. yeah. And, and again, we're going to, we've kind of brushed over a lot of topics and believe us, we have, we have topics lined up and we're going to discuss a lot of this in a lot more detail as the show progresses. But the big one is the, the, the resource piece. We mentioned that in the beginning and it's kind of been a theme throughout. So just because I can get to you inside of two hours, doesn't mean I can get you out in two hours. And if, if you are unable to walk on your own and you have to be carried, if I can't hoist you up with a helicopter and we have, one agency, well, technically two, two agencies, um, one primary, one very, very, well, it's almost not even a secondary. It's really a tertiary that comes from another state mm -hmm. um, agency that can hoist for us. 
And if they are unavailable, that means you're getting carried. And if it's late in the day, uh, the risk analysis that the uh, agency we support has done is that we don't do this in the dark anymore. It becomes too dangerous. Camp's too dangerous. So guess what? You're camping. So, you end, so yeah, you end up camping with me and Mike. We've been in with several day trip visitors who have done their very first camping experience with Mike and I on the side of the mountain. Yeah, it's not uncommon. Um, and with that, so Mike or I or both of us, we get on scene to you within a couple hours. Well, by the time we know what we need, we've already got some other resources coming but we may not always get, you know, 24 additional rescuers to come help carry you out. It might be six or eight of us, which is going to take a lot longer, right? So there's always a factor of resources, time, and equipment, right? It's, it's always going to be there. Yeah. And again, this, this kind of leads us down to those major differences between the, the urban EMS and what Mike and I are going to be talking about a lot here is wilderness EMS. You know, it's time with your patient the lack of equipment, perhaps some specialized equipment that we have to use and some specialized training that most of us that operate in the wilderness EMS environment uh, receive, mm-hmm. you know, extended patient care, technical rescue, helicopter operations, et cetera. Uh, I don't do fire. I guess though. I'll just fire's hot and I don't want to. <laughs> yeah, we don't do fire. No. Neither of us do fire no. on our urban side gigs either. No. We're both EMS only types. Hot and I'm not doing it. Uh, and actually, neither of us mentioned it, but uh, in our bio pieces, Mike and I both started out as EMTs, then progressed to advanced EMT, and we are now currently paramedics. We are. Um, we kind of failed to mention that before, but we are paramedics. Uh, we both received some critical tra- training. Neither of us are currently critical care certified, if you will. That'll be changing soon. So, I say, though, both of us are looking at doing that here yeah. in the coming year. Um, so we approach this from a different perspective. Um, we'll, we'll be talking about different provider levels and certifications and such, but know that most of what we talk about is we'll call it an emergency medical services, a trained professional responder with appropriate equipment and materials and training going into the woods, not just what we'll call the good Samaritan goodbye standard or the secondary duty, uh, of, you know, perhaps a hiking guide or somebody else who's a wellness first aid or wellness first responder, certified person. Yeah, we're going to be getting into a lot of things. Uh, we're going to be talking about what makes wilderness medicine different. We're going to be talking about, excuse me, we're going to be talking about uh, skill set, where they vary. Um, there's, we've got a list of 20 some odd topics that are coming. Uh, we hope you guys will strap in with us and take this ride with us. This is the first podcast I've ever recorded. I'm pretty sure it's the first podcast Sean's ever recorded. So I'm sure we're going to mess up a few things along the way, but we'll get better. And I hope you guys learn something with us on the journey. Yeah. If you don't learn something, then tell us what you want to know. We hope to make this show interactive with, through social media. So once everything's up and running, you got those questions, shoot them to us. We'd be happy to help answer questions or have dialogues with people. We're not going to get into the, hey, my sked's bigger than your sked conversations. Um, but, you know, we'll be happy to engage with folks and, and discuss differing opinions on techniques and thoughts about wilderness and its deer care. Yeah. All right, Sean. Well, we'll call this episode one in the books. Uh, look forward to a whole bunch of things related to austere medicine from us in the near future. Yeah. And I promise they'll get better. Once we actually start about 
things we know besides just administrative stuff. Yeah. All these will be way better. Yeah. Once we actually start talking about medicine, I expect we'll actually have quality that people want to listen to. But hey, you know, I guess only time will tell. <laughs> so stick with us. Yeah. All right. If you have any questions or comments or ideas for show topics, you can send us an email at the show at emsonthemountain.com or hit us up on social media. We can be found on Facebook and Instagram at EMS on the Mountain, Twitter at EMS OTM, or you can engage with us and a whole community of wilderness EMS professionals at locals.com slash wilderness EMS. Until the next episode, thanks for joining us. And until we see you on the mountain, train hard, be safe, and do good work.